This is the Tuesday, May 25th edition of the Daily Wager podcast. Got a full slate of NBA playoff action, and we have a lot of plays, including props in the association and on the hardwood. We'll get you in and out, like we promise, every weekday in less than 10 minutes. Welcome to the Daily Wager podcast, presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. I am Doug Kazarian, joined this morning by Tyler Fulgham. Tyler, we got back in the win column for best bets. You carried us all week last week, so it was, we had to return the favor a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I missed with uh, Michael Porter Jr. Despite the Nuggets getting the win, they didn't need him to go over 24 and a half, but glad to see the team uh, is back in, the, uh, back in the black. Yeah, what happened basically is just the role players all stepped up and, <laughs> yeah, and right. got challenged. I mean, Porter did his <laughs> yeah. part, was great, right. but everyone else was great too, so that was almost, yeah. quote-unquote, the problem. Let's get into tonight and – you know, it's funny. I, I think we saw with the Bucks yesterday, even though they escaped game one and one, they didn't play that great. You saw sort of a bounce back effort in game two, even though they won. So it kind of sounds weird just saying the concept bounce back. But I think we're going to see that with Brooklyn. I really like Brooklyn the first half. I think just how they started the last game, even though they got the W, it was kind of disappointing just hearing the interviews from Harden and Durant and Kyrie. So I actually expect a really strong start. I'm going to lay the five and a half in the first half with Brooklyn and um, I'm just expecting a strong start. And I think Boston's overmatched here. No, no Jalen Brown. They just, they just can't maintain the offensive pace. So I'm going first half instead of quarter. I, I just prefer 24 minutes to 12. Yeah, I totally agree that there is a, a massive uh, disparity between these two teams, especially with no Jalen Brown. So I'm going to play a prop on the Brooklyn side. That's Kevin Durant to go over 27 and a half points. He scored 32 in game one, despite the fact that Brooklyn, again, as you said, didn't really play their best game. And he himself certainly did not play his best or most efficient game. He was 10 of 25 from the field. That's very undurant like, and without Jalen Brown as the best perimeter defender for Boston on the other side, um, the the, the matchup just is easier for KD. We know how this Brooklyn team is going to work when all three guys are in the lineup. James Harden's going to do the bulk of the, uh, creation and then Kyrie and Kevin Durant are going to do the bulk of the scoring. So 32 points on 10 of 25 and a 27 and a half point uh, line for game two seems a little soft given how easy Durant can score. I can get behind that. I can get behind. That. I want to talk to you about the Lakers Phoenix game. Look, we see this. It's a really interesting and kind of fascinating evolution. The playoffs in a series, the point spreads. So Lakers were three point dogs in game one. They lose so more desperate team. They're now minus two here in game two, which is, just interesting because, you know, during the regular season, you have power ratings dictating so much, but this is a situational line move. And um, I, I can't get, I understand the line move, but I can't get behind the Lakers. I'm not convinced they're the better team when they're this unhealthy, so to speak. So I can't, I can't get involved there. I'm fascinating. And also with the Chris Paul kind of mm-hmm. unknown injury, I just, I really just too many moving parts here. Yeah, I completely understand that. Um, my belief uh, going into the series was uh, it's playing out. Uh, to script to this point. Now the Lakers need to do their part in game two and win, but you know, I thought the Suns would get him in game one. Like we saw the Lakers lose each of their um, game ones in the first two series last year to the Portland trailblazers into the Houston Rockets. Then once LeBron, Frank Vogel, Anthony Davis figured out how um, each team was going to scheme them, uh, they turned it up. So I'm expecting the Lakers to win the second game, but rather than pinpoint that team, I'll pinpoint the head of the snake, LeBron James. I think he's going to come out and uh, deliver a vintage LeBron James performance uh, in game two. So at plus 450, we can get LeBron to record a triple-double. Um, kind of playing that out as, as far as the odds or probability at plus 450, that's 
So I ask you, do you think there's better than an 18% chance that LeBron James in a quote unquote must win game uh, in the postseason where his minutes will likely be up despite what you think about his ankle? Um, here's a guy who had a triple double in the playing game against Golden State and then had 18, seven and 10 in game one against Phoenix. Pretty close to a triple double. Um, I think in a game where, again, they're going to want to try and uh, assert their dominance and uh, steal one on the road. LeBron is um, better than an 18% chance. I'd say closer to 25 or 33% chance to get a triple double here. So I think we have an edge with that line at plus 450. It's a great question because I think with the ankle injury, he's more inclined to get a triple double because he's almost using his stature and threat as a distributor, right? As an attention mm-hmm. getter. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the rebounds, but if they do what they kind of should do and move AD to the five and have LeBron play the four, then he's going to need to get more rebounds without with less Drummond on the court. So I can certainly get behind that with the, with the price, right? Like that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it is tough because he, he did not look good in the Warriors game and he had a triple double. So it's like, well, what's going on here? <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think he gets a double double with assists for sure. Yeah. And then the triple double for, yeah, what rebounds would be interesting. Interesting. And, like and that's that kind of how the lines are set. Uh, I, I don't know the point prop, but I know it's nine and a half for assists. And I take the over there. I think the rebounds are set at seven and a half. So close to 10, uh, need a few uh, breaks, but I do think he'll be out there um, for at least 38 minutes in this game, barring it's a competitive ball game. Right. No, I like the over nine and a half assists now that you mentioned that specifically and got me to think through it uh, or talk it out at least. So the other game, I'll, and what we'll discuss, we're on opposite sides. So, you know, yesterday I, I liked the Blazers. It wasn't like my best bet or anything, but I just thought on paper. But what we saw is kind of a stark reminder of what the playoffs have been all these years, right? Like certain bounce back situations. And obviously Denver backs against the wall, lose game one at home. Role players all played well. The 50-50 balls kind of went to Denver. And there was a little bit of complacency with Portland, not with Dame, but with the other guys, and Greg Anthony was talking about it on the broadcast, just sort of, you know, we needed one game. We got our game one, and almost like a relaxed team. And, I, and I'm worried that Dallas is going to have a similar thing because I saw nothing that thinks the Clippers should be, you know, a touchdown favorite here. And obviously during the regular season, Dallas kind of won the season series and, and is a better, you know, hit their shots. And, was, and I don't trust the Clippers. But given what I saw yesterday, I almost have to, like, hold my nose and lay the points. If you look at – the first half line is the same as what it is in the Brooklyn game, but the game line's two points less. So it's just, you know, you see these, uh, these uh, adjustments in the market and in, in the situational handicapping. It's just fascinating that the Clippers are laying like five and a half in the first half and the game line's only six and a half, seven. So I would just hold my nose and lay the points of the Clippers, but I'm not thrilled about it. Yeah, I, I understand that. Uh, given, again, what we saw from Denver, the Clippers should be a, you know, emotionally desperate team, so to speak. I just have never bought into this Clippers team. Um, they're led by Kawhi Leonard, who seems to be, um, I don't want to say despondent, but um, he's not necessarily someone who fires you up. Then Paul George, their, their second guy, we know that he has had his issues in the postseason coming up in big moments. It's happened in spurts, but you know, with the consistency to make you a, you know, a, a great superstar like a LeBron James, it hasn't been there. Um, and, and just this Clippers team has always been an underachieving bunch ever since they've gotten together. They haven't really ever lived up to expectation. And I just recall last year's postseason series when there basically was no one else but Luka Doncic. 
dragging the Mavs to six games against this Clipper squad. Now he's got his full arsenal of players around him. Christoph Porzingis, Tim Hardaway Jr., um, guys off the bench like Jalen Brunson, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith playing the role. This is just a team that I think is, is better at executing their roles and understanding how to play as a team to win in the postseason. I, I, they may not just be a good matchup for the Clippers because as great as Paul George and uh, Kawhi Leonard are defensively, that's what kind of makes them unique and great is that they can score, but they can lock down your best perimeter player. Luka Doncic is such a unique and awesome NBA player that not even the defense of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George bothers him. So I think he kind of, with his uh, greatness, negates what makes the Clippers a tough matchup and makes them an easier matchup for the Mavs. So I do think the Clippers bounce back and win this game. But seven's way too much for a team that has consistently shown that they can hang with the Clippers, um, whether they have their full strength or not. So uh, I'm expecting this to be a one, two, three point win. So getting seven points in my pocket with Luka Doncic, who had the triple double in the first game. And I see no reason to think he's going to, you know, kind of take his foot off the gas in game two. Um, I think that's just too many points. So like you, I'm not going to hold my nose. I like having that. I'll gladly pick that flower out of the garden there, but I do expect the Clippers to be a little more um, intense, a little more engaged in this game. I think the Mavs and Luke are just too good. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter sometimes with the desperation when teams are hitting threes, right? Mavs were 17 of 36 for 47% in game one Clippers, just 11 of 40. And obviously, I mean, the Clippers had the lead late four. So just it's just crazy how it all unfolds. And we saw that with the Bucks, like positive regression. Uh, just final thoughts, a couple WNBA games. I do like the Mystics to bounce back, back-to-back games in Indiana. I think they cover the two. I really like Atlanta plus six at Chicago. Does not look like Candace Parker is going to play. So the fact that Candace Parker is doubtful, uh, I'll, I'll grab the six and a half with the dream in that game. So that'll do it for the pod. Good stuff as always, Tyler. I'll see you later in the show uh the studio because we don't have to wear pants or shoes today Um, no joe joe's off today so it'll be just you and i holding down the fort and that's it for us like we said and promise you every weekday in and out in less than 10 minutes